Hey guys, I'm super delighted for all of you that's joining us today vis-a-vis the various social media platforms, and I am also very excited for those who are joining from our San Jose campus, especially the middle school and high schoolers that are uh, participating uh, in our worship today. Uh, welcome to all of you. This is the second week of the series that I'm calling Back to the Basics. Listen, here is the big ideal. Uh, in order for us to continue to grow stronger and deeper in our faith, we have to also keep growing in our knowledge of the fundamentals of what it is that we believe and why it matters. So let's jump right into the teaching today. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then also I'm going to include verse 14. Uh, here's what the writer says. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him. Listen, nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And if you're familiar with this passage, you know in verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh, human, and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory. God, we ask that you'd bless this teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, if you were with us last week, you know that I shared that the roadmap that we're going to be following through our summer series is really found in the oldest confessional creed uh, that the Christian community has. It's simply called the Apostle Creed. I want to encourage you, you can go to our website and find that uh, creed. It's there. Uh, read through it, engage it, uh, uh, dialogue with it, if you will. If some questions are generated as a result of it, uh, be sure to send it to me by way of email. And perhaps I can address some of those questions as we move forward with this series. All right. So last week we started, as we looked at the Apostle Creed, we started with the basic question, who is God? Of course, there is the affirmation of what we Christians um, um, confess uh, right in the Apostle Creed. Here's what it says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Today we want to take up the question, who is Jesus Christ? And the Creed continues to affirm what we believe in this respect. For we believe, the Creed declares, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Can you simply say, our Lord? Yes, that's a, pretty much an antique uh, antiquated word that we don't often use that today in modern language, but it simply means that we trust this Jesus so uh, extraordinarily that we give him full authority over our life and our destiny. We look to him to guide us, our Lord. Now, uh, I'm excited to recognize that this teaching today is happening uh, during the season of graduation. So let me begin by just congratulating and saying happy graduation to all of the graduates of 2023, you and your family and your friends. Uh, congratulations on a tremendous milestone. And I'm confident that many of you who are watching me uh, have already probably experienced or you will experience several commencement addresses over the course of this season. You know, commencement addresses is another word for the speeches that are usually given at graduations. So a couple of things. One, 
uh, I want to frame this teaching today with our graduates of all levels in mind, as well as the larger community. And secondly, as I think about commencement, can you say commencement? Yeah, as I think about commencement addresses, uh, it strikes me that one of the most profound, impactful commencement addresses that I have ever heard was about 40 years ago, and it literally transformed my life. Now, you know, that's the trick with commencement address or commencement speakers. The word commence means uh, really a new beginning. People who are graduating are turning a new chapter, starting a new season in their lives. And whoever is the commencement speaker, and I've had an opportunity to do that once or twice, you're trying to say something that is inspiring and remembering. You, you want to say something that is so impactful that 30, 40, 50 years later, that the people who heard that commencement address will say, wow, A, what that person said was incredibly true and, and remarkably transformational in my life. You, you want to give the kind of speech that people will say decades later, in a sense, it radically changed the trajectory of who I became. Well, that is the reality, the commencement uh, address speech, if you will, that I heard that literally transformed my life. I had just graduated from junior high, the eighth grade in Cushada, Louisiana. It was during the summer. I did not realize that my grand-aunt had only about six more years to live. She knew probably then what I didn't know, that she was already battling in early stages of cancer. And I'll never forget it. Uh, she called me uh, into her room in a very uncharacteristic way. And she had a real solemn conversation with me. And it turns out that in one sentence, she gave the most memorable commencement address that I ever heard. But here was her one sentence. You need to get to know Jesus for yourself. She went on to say, Mama's not going to be with you always. She says, but Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's a remarkable thing, right? Because she was already thinking about her mortality. And she was thinking about how to take her pride and joy, which I was, this kid that she had raised from two years old up. And, and, and what was the best thing she could do for me as she was getting ready to exit the earth? And her posture was, son, my faith won't do. You've got to get to know Jesus for yourself. A one-sentence commencement address, I would declare. Unconventional, yes, indeed. But literally and ultimately changed my life. Wow. Who is this Jesus that my grandaunt says that you and I ought to get, that I uh, should get to know, and she would argue that you should get to know? I want to say to you that that's the one sentence commencement address that I want to offer to all of uh, the graduates who are listening to me and family and friends. You need to get to know Jesus for yourself. Now, you may be religious or not religious. You may be spiritual or not. You may be a Christian or not a Christian. You may discover who Jesus is and decide you want to do something else. Cool. But I'm telling you that there's something so compelling, important, and incredibly uh, vital about who Jesus is that you need to get to know Jesus for yourself. Now, let me suggest to you that the writer of the text that we have in front of us, the writer, his name is John. 
he's making the same argument. He's making the argument in the Gospel of John and the epistles, John 1, 2, and 3, and also uh, along with those who work with him in the writing of Revelations, he's making the same argument for the world. He said, listen, if you're alive on the planet, if you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're a corporate leader, come on now, if you're married, if you're single, whoever you are, you need to get to know Jesus for yourself. And so John writes these incredible letters, beginning with the Gospel of John, with that in mind. And listen, here's what John would want you to know. John would say, listen, I knew him and I know him because he still lives, John would declare. John would say, I had been watching him for some time as he was teaching and preaching in my neighborhood. I was working with my brother uh, James uh, for our father, Jebedee. We were fishermen, and, and, but there was something attractive and compelling. I've been paying attention to him and and one day he walked up to me and my brother and he says, follow me. And that was all I needed. The only invitation I needed. We walked away from our career as fishermen and we followed Jesus. And John would have you to know as he gets ready to write and lay out who he's, who, who he's presenting Jesus to be. Uh, he would have you to know. He says, listen, I spent three and a half years with him. A day in and day out, 24-7. Come on, I was there every time he taught a lesson. I was there to see the extraordinary miracles that came through his life. I was there. Can you say I was there? Yes, that's what John's saying. I was there when he was off the public scene. I saw how he lived 24-7, and it was extraordinary. It was something uniquely different. John would go on and say, listen, and I was there when he was arrested. I was there when he was crucified. I was at the foot of the cross with his mother. As a matter of fact, we were so close that he... uh, uh, asked me to be the surrogate son for his mother so that I could take responsibility for his mother. Listen, I was there when they pulled his dead body off the cross and put it in the tomb. I was there. John said, I lived through that horrendous grief-ridden Saturday, that, that, that space between Friday evening and Sunday morning. Come on, between death and resurrection. I lived through that sense of hopelessness and despair and weeping. But I was also there on Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene came running in and said, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And, and me and Peter, we raced to the tomb. We couldn't really believe it. And I went to the tomb and it was empty. And I was in the room when he showed up later that day and said, peace be with you. And check it out. When I saw him in bodily form, I'm talking about I could touch him. I could see him. I could hear him. Come on, I engaged him. It wasn't a vision. It, was just, it wasn't just a glimpse. We hung out and fellowship together, ate fists together. Come on, laugh. Come on, and engaged life together for 40 days after the resurrection. So I just need to let you guys know <laughs> I knew him. I know him. And I'm telling you, you need to get to know who Jesus is. That's John, who writes the text that is before us. And so the first thing that John says that you need to know about Jesus is that he's God. He's God. You know, last week we started looking at the question of who is God, and we started with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you remember how it goes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And it goes on to say, and then God said, he spoke this this agent, this word, he said, let there be light. And the whole explosion of 
of solar systems and galaxies and planets, including Earth, came onto the scene. John says, when I tell you about Jesus, I want to I begin with this point. He's God, and so let's go back to the beginning. You know that word that has agency that was created? Well, that's Jesus. Notice what John writes in verse, in verse 2. He says, in the beginning, the word already exists. Jesus was the word, the creative force at work in reality. The word was with God, and the word was God. He goes on to say, and he existed in the beginning with God. The way theologians talk about Jesus uh, uh, and God talks about Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, the triune reality of the one God. And we'll talk about that in some weeks from now. But when we say the second person of the Trinity, we're not talking about God the Father and God the Son here. No, we're talking about God the Father and God the Son. And later we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. They occupy like a circle, a space together. And so John writes, he's with God the Father. And then John says, I want to make sure you don't miss this point. So in chapter 10, verse 30, he makes sure that we hear Jesus saying uh, to his disciples, I and the Father are one. In chapter 14, verse 9, Philip hears Jesus says, talking about the Father, and Philip says to Jesus, hey, why don't you just show us the Father? And Jesus is stunned and shocked. He says, Philip, you've been with me all these, these last three years, and you haven't figured out who I am yet? And then he says, anyone who has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. You know, the Apostle Creed is the, the most ancient and super influential creed that really captures what we believe is, is uh, Jesus follows, but the second most influential uh, a creed that actually builds out and wrestles with this question, how do we understand who Jesus is? It's called the Nicene Creed, and here's what it says. It uses the same pattern as the Apostle Creed, but it, it goes into a little depth here. I love this. Listen to what it says about those of us who are Jesus followers. He says, here's what we believe. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Remember, we just read that in the Apostle Creed. Then he goes on and says, but who is he? He's eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. Wow. The Nicene Creed. He is God. He is with God. Coexist, co-eternal. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus. And so it is in that spirit that we need to remember that when we're talking about Jesus, John would have you to know, uh, be very clear. We're not just talking about an amazing teacher, as some would believe. We're not just talking about a great prophet, as some would believe. We're not just talking about an incredible moral leader who launched a major movement that is ultimately called the church and has swept across history and time and all of that. There are components of all of that in Jesus. But ultimately, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about God, God with us, God among us, and God and then he goes on to say, and so in that spirit, since he's God, then clearly Jesus is the source of all creation. And he, 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 he writes about it like this. Through him, all things. Can you say all things? All things were made. Without him, nothing was made. That has been made. I'm going to come back to that a little later in this message. And then, not only is he the source of all creation, Jesus is the source of life and light. Not just light and life for the cosmos. But he's the source of light and life for the human community. 
Watch how John talks about it as he, as, he, as he talks about it in this passage. He starts with the cosmos, and the word gave life to everything that was created. That's the cosmos, the material world. And his life, Jesus, brought light to everyone. That's, that's the human community. That includes you, and that includes me, and the people throughout history. And then watch what he says. The light, Jesus' light, meaning he's still living and he's still shining. Watch the present tense. The light shines in the dark. This is such good news. As we see evil rising all over the place, seeming like the world order is coming unglued, seeming like darkness is encroaching on every side. But this is such great news. The light, Jesus' light, shines in the darkness and the darkness can never, shout can never, the darkness can never Extinguish it or put it out. Yeah. Jesus is God. There's one other thing as we talk about then implications. Uh, here's one that's found in Colossians 1.15. I like another way of talking about it. It's this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You never from this point forward have to try to guess what is God like. Here's the, here's the implication I want you to get. In Jesus, we see the character, heart, and love of God. You never, from this point forward, never, never, never need you to be confused by something you read in the Old Testament that confuses you about the heart of God. Never, never, never need you to be confused about something that some preacher or some priest that have said. Never, never, never ought you to be confused about, about, about what, what, what perhaps a, a Christian said to you when you were growing up in Sunday school class that made you feel like God was mean and, and horrendously judgmental and the, and the one to be afraid of, that he was just waiting to throw you in hell. Oh, no, 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 no. And you say, well, how do I know who God is? His character, come on, his heart, his love. Jesus is the answer to that. In Jesus, we see the character and heart and love of God. The second implication. In Jesus, God measures down. This is one of the things that's uniquely different about our Christian faith. In every other religious expression in the world, uh, we're trying to measure up. We're trying to become good enough to measure up to God, to be worthy of God's attention and of God's love. But not in this case. In Jesus, John teaches us that God measures down. He comes down to our level. He measures down. And then the third implication, in Jesus, God comes to love us. There's another powerful point about our Christian faith. No other, all of the other major religions, the person goes looking for God. You go on a journey to discover God. In our Christian faith, John declares that in Jesus, God comes looking for you, the middle schooler. God comes looking for you, the high schooler. God comes looking for you, uh, the person who is single and feels alone and disconnected, the corporate leader, the lawyer. Come on now, the guy who, or the woman who works in Burger King and feels like nobody knows your name. In Jesus, God comes looking for you. Why? To love you. To love you to connect with you, to have a relationship with you. It is Jesus who says, 
Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. This is the one, Jesus, who is so extraordinarily awesome that he is the creative force behind creating all of the universe. Come on now. And yet he is so remarkably sensitive and tender and loving that he said, let the kids come to me. And he's anxious to get on the, to get on the flow and play with the kids. Jesus. Let me say a word about this notion of love. You know, when I was a kid growing up, the reason why my grand-aunt's commencement speech was so incredibly powerful, and it took about two years for me to actually live it out and really come to terms with it, was because I had that reputation in that day all across my school. They looked at Herman Hamlin, they said, that's a bad kid. Across my neighborhood and community, when the name Herman Hamlin came up, that was a bad kid. That's a bad kid. And I did do a whole lot of bad things. But a huge part of what folk missed, when they said I was a bad kid, they were focused on my behavior, and they thought that my behavior was ultimately reflective of my character. But in my reality, my behavior was not so much reflective of character, although that is, there's some truth there. My behavior was, was reflective of brokenness. See, here's the thing, guys. In life, life has a way of walking across our individual stories in unloving ways. Sometimes it's just cruel and brutality that, that is, is, comes at us through the homes and families and circumstances that we live in. And other times, it's not the intention of people. It's just life itself. In my case, I got scarred and disfigured as a small baby. Nobody did it to me intentionally. There were some mistakes made. But at the end of the day, it was, it was life that scarred and disfigured me and, 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 and scarred me with an unloving experience. And that wounded me deeply. I heard a story the other day about uh, a lady who grew up in China. And she, was a, she had the same birth date, same date on the calendar as her father. Her father took ill, and her family concluded because she, this woman who was a daughter in the house, had the same birth date as the father that, in some sense, she had brought a curse to him. And if they didn't get her out of the house and out of the family, he would die. So they got her out of the house and sent her to boarding school. They brought in another young man to replace her as a new son in the family. Now, can you imagine the woundedness? These, these family, we think about that. They weren't trying to be mean or unloving. This was a part of their belief system. But, but the experience turned out to be a horrendously unloving experience for that young daughter who went off to boarding school feeling that she was a curse. You know how horrible it is to feel like you are a curse, that you are a mistake. But later in her life, she ran into Jesus and she discovered that in Jesus, that she discovered the God who created everything, including the one who created her. And she discovered a cosmic, unconditional love in that one. And it is only that, that, only that cosmic, unconditional love that has the power, watch me, listen to this, to undo what was left behind by unloving experiences. When we love deeply by God and know it, it's when we begin to heal and see our lives transform. And that was part of my story. And that's what my grandaunt knew. That's why she said, boy, you need to get to know Jesus for 
yourself. So Jesus is fully God. Can somebody shout, Jesus is God? Say it. Jesus is God. The second thing that John wants us to know very quickly is that when we talk about Jesus, Jesus is human, 100% human. Theologians cannot describe and explain this mystery. He's fully God and all divine. He's fully human. To be fully human. Notice what John writes. It's one of my favorite passages. The word that is the source of all creation became a human being. And we find in him the source of ultimate grace and the source of ultimate truth. If you want to know in a world and a culture that is debating what is ultimately true, uh, John says, you need to get to know Jesus, the source of grace and the source of ultimate truth, who lived among us. Now, the theological word for him being fully human, God becoming human, is incarnation. It's the Latin term that simply means incarnate, which means to, to, be, to become flesh, to become human. Let's talk quickly about the implications, what it means for Jesus to be human. Well, first of all, the first implication is that in Jesus, it means that God understands my and your weaknesses, temptations, and challenges. And this is the ultimate expression of how much he loves us, that he decides that I'm not just going to stand behind the dim mist of eternity, come on now, and kind of postulate about what it means to be you. I'm going to show up in your experience, come on, I'm going to start as a baby, and I'm going to go from uh, infant to a toddler, come on, I'm going to go from being a toddler to preschool. I'm going to go from preschool to middle school age, from middle school age to high school age. And and I'm going to walk through every single dimension of life to discover, come on, not intellectually, but experientially, what does it mean to be you? What does it mean to be? What are the struggles, the temptations, and the challenges that we find ourselves going through? You know, one of my favorite uh, TV shows I used to watch is called The Undercover Boss. Usually the undercover boss, this is a woman or a guy who's the CEO and perhaps the owner of a major company, and, 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 the, and, and she wants to figure out the real-life experiences of the people that are working for her. And so she disguises herself, and she starts at the very beginning, and she gets hired, and, and she learns how to sweep the floor and wash the dishes and put together the ingredients that makes the major product. Uh, that the company is selling. Nobody knows that she's the boss. And she gets inside it to hear the stories of the people that she's working with. And she begins to discover realities and dimensions that she did not know until she lived the experience with them. And at the end of the whole program, come on, she usually, uh, uh, there's a section where all of the different people that she met, they they have a one-on-one with her. Every now and then somebody will get fired. But because she knew the story, come on, there would be empathy and compassion that comes each one of these episodes uh, from the CEO, whoever the CEO, empathy and capacity. They would discover that somebody needed help with a loved one and she provide some resources for that. Somebody needed help to go back to school. They provide some resources for that. Somebody was working here and needed to be promoted there because of their gifts and their commitment. And he would make the promotion there. Uh, uh, and all the while, the undercover boss, come on now, Jesus is God, the undercover boss, come on, walking through human experience along with us to discover what it is that makes your experience your experience and my experience my experience. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest in the Jewish tradition, the high priest was the person that mediated between God and the people of God. 
facilitating forgiveness for their sins, sacrificing goats and bulls, etc. And the writer here says that Jesus is the ultimate high priest uh, who has ascended into heaven. And Jesus, the Son of God, since he's our high priest, let us hold firmly to our faith. Don't let anybody rip it from us, he says, right? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, to feel alongside with us regarding our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we have, and yet he is without sin. It's a wonderful series of advertisements that's blinking into the country that is framed like this. Jesus gets us. That's the point. In God, Jesus gets you. In God, Jesus gets me. Uh, uh, might I just give you some examples very quickly? If you are a refugee or an immigrant, Jesus gets you. Because as a baby, his parents had to take him and, and flee from Israel and flee into Egypt as a refugee and as an immigrant because Herod was trying to kill him. And so the word of the Lord would ultimately declare, out of Egypt, I have called my son. He knows what it's like to be a refugee and an immigrant. He knows what it's like to be you. If you are adopted, Jesus gets you because Joseph ultimately adopted him. Joseph became Jesus' stepfather because God the Father is ultimately Jesus uh, a, a true father. If you've been bullied and picked on, Jesus gets you. Because when he was arrested, the Roman soldiers, they, uh, they stripped him of his clothes. They put a, a, a purple robe on him. They took, uh, they took some thorns and made a, a fake crown out of it. And they started teasing him and punching him and making fun of him and shaming him. He understands what it's like to be you. If you're friendless, Jesus gets you because, because when he was arrested, all of his friends, most of them abandoned him. If you are a victim of injustice, Jesus gets you because he was innocent, but, 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 but found, put on trial in a jerry-rigged court system and was found guilty and sentenced, sentenced to a life, to, to, to capital punishment, death on a cross. He knows what it's like to be the victim of injustice. If you're single, Jesus gets you. Uh, he never got married. As a matter of fact, we have no record that he even dated. If you're homeless, Jesus gets you. For the one who created the heavens and the earth is heard saying, the, 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 the Jesus declares that the birds have nests and the fox have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you are uh, uh, hungry and food uh, deprived. Jesus gets you from the cross. He cries out, I thirst. If you are in doubt, trying to be a person of faith, Jesus gets you in his humanness on the cross. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, I want you to know this is the, the glorious thing of God becoming human in Jesus, entering into our experience. If you're sick, Jesus gets you. If you're struggling with cancer and cancer treatment and other issues, for Isaiah says about Jesus, surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our disease. If you're in the midst of grief, Jesus gets you. The Gospel of John tells us that he was standing side by side with Mary, not his mother, but Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And, and her brother Lazarus had died. And as she wept, Jesus wept along with her. He felt the anger of grief along with her. He gets you. If you're in pain and suffering, he knows it. He was crucified on a Roman cross. If you're facing death, he understands it. It was from the cross that he declared as he faced death, Father, into thy hands, 
I commit my spirit. And it's to this one that the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, this is why you can come boldly to him in prayer as a middle schooler, or as a high schooler, or as a college graduate, or whoever you are, right, as a single mom or a professional. Come boldly because you have somebody who gets who you are. So I'm not just praying to God in the abstract. I'm praying to God in Jesus Christ. And this is the one who declared, come on now, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And here is the victory message that my grandmother wanted me to understand when she says, you need to get to know Jesus. Because Paul writes this this way. Those of us who are in relationship with this one called Jesus, this becomes our truth. Uh, for we become more than conquerors over all of the kinds of challenges I've just named because he's with us in every single one, enabling us to become more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Watch this. Who loves us? As long as we know that we're loved, it makes all the difference. And finally, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption and salvation for everyone. In Genesis 12, verse 3, he announces to Abraham, he says, listen, out of your seed, the whole world would be blessed. Forty-two generations later, God, John records about Jesus coming onto the scene. And here's what he says. He came, into, uh, he came to his, into the very world that he had created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Oh, the plan of redemption and salvation. Listen now. But to all who believe in him and accept him, we, we, we use the language, make him Lord and Savior. Uh, somebody else says to become his apprentice with his disciple, right? To learn how to do life with him. All who accept him, he gave the right to become unique children of God. So I want to conclude by suggesting that if you really know who Jesus is, I want to offer suggest to you that Jesus offers to us a priceless, irreplaceable gift. I call it a graduation gift. You know, the best way to describe what we call the gospel, the good news that comes as a result of the unique work that Jesus did, I think are found in the words of Pastor Tim Keller, the late Pastor Tim Keller. He describes Jesus doing something that only Jesus could do because he was fully God in the act and fully human. Here's what he says. He says, when Jesus Christ came, he came to live the life we should have lived and die the death we should die. He lived a perfect life and therefore earned God's blessings. But then at the end of his life, he went to the cross and took the curse that we deserve. In other words, for punishment for our wrongdoings. And in so doing, he earned the blessing of a fully obedient human being. He's the only one who lived a fully perfect life. But then he took the curse and punishment of imperfect, disobedient human beings. That's you. That's me. Which means, Dr. Keller says, that when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, trust him with your all. Watch this. All of your sins and what you deserve falls on Jesus. But then all of his blessings and what Jesus deserves comes to you. And God treats you as if you have done everything that Jesus Christ has done. End of quote. Did you see the power? Tim Keller says, ultimately salvation. Jesus comes to save us from our sins, to save us from the wickedness of the world and our own waywardness. And ultimately, the gift of salvation 
has nothing to do with what you and I do. It is a complete gift that is wrapped up and made possible through Jesus. And for that person who says, well, when I think about myself, Pastor Herman, I see, my, I see badness in my life. I think about my reputation. I think about all the different things that I have done horribly. And I just don't understand how God can relate to me with this notion of grace and unconditional love. What well, Dr. Keller answers that question, he says, yes, he can relate to you because when he looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of what Jesus has done on your behalf that the goodness of Jesus is imparted to you and it creates space for you to continue to grow in grace and keep getting better and better and better and better. That's good news. This is why Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. This means that anyone, shout anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has become. And so I suggest that when you open the gift, you, when you open that gift box that comes from Jesus, God with us and among us who understands what it's like to be you and me. We get some wonderful things in that gift box of salvation and redemption. The first of all, we get forgiveness. We no longer live a life from guilt to guilt trying to figure out, you know, uh, how to just get by. Forgiveness that comes through Jesus means we can live a life of grace. And the text says that the righteous person falls seven times, but he keeps getting up. That means that our falls are opportunity for us to keep growing. And he's not looking at us with a judgmental finger. He's helping us to keep growing. Oh, we also get the gift of transformation. You know, you and I, we're always becoming something. You know, on my track uh, from middle school to high school, I was becoming a high school dropout. I was becoming on route to be a criminal and strung out on drugs. That's really the path that I was. But when I discovered God in Jesus and his cosmic love for my life that gave me value and purpose, come on, he shifted what I was becoming to. That's the notion of transformation as Jesus become the, 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 the head of your life and your best friend. You begin to allow him to change and transform you into the purpose you were born to be. And then in Jesus, you discover purpose, shall purpose. If it is true that, every, that all things were created by him, then it means, come on now, that the purpose for why you're on the planet is hidden in Jesus. And so the, the more you get to know Jesus, the better you come to know yourself and your purpose. And finally, oh, he gives us a life that cannot be destroyed by death. The good news of resurrection, we'll talk about it later, is that even though death came, come on, the power of who he was and who he is, he conquers death and he gives us that gift. Can somebody say praise God? Can somebody say praise God? Oh, I declare to you, when a one-sentence commitment address, you need to get to know Jesus, it makes all, and it will make all the difference. I'm living proof. Thank you, Mom, for that gift. Amen.